the last week whereby we remember the events that took place leading up to the great resurrection of our Lord Jesus, which we'll celebrate next week. But as we think about the Passion Week, don't be a chicken when it comes to sharing Jesus. I mean, I want to challenge you today as we look at the subject title, I want to challenge you today and see if you'll take this challenge. Will you take a challenge to witness and try with the help of the Lord to win one person, lead one person, listen, one person to Jesus this year. One person, 2019. Maybe somebody has already had the privilege of leading one person to the Lord. That's not asking too much, is it? One person? And I love the church family. Have you had a chance to talk with anybody lately about the love of God, God's forgiveness? Take this challenge, would you? And in a minute, I'm going to ask you, will you purpose in your heart to lead one person? I know there's a lot of people out there who are not saved. And surely, unity, you can build that relationship and with your life, with your lips, with your walk, with your talk, lead them to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. I'll assure you, you'll be happy, they'll be happy, and the Lord will be glorified. And the church said, amen, and amen, and amen. Now, uh, as we think about this last week of our Lord here before he ascended into heaven, uh, that is, before his resurrection, leading up to his resurrection, I want you to pay attention to some events that unfolded. We're going to look at a text in a moment, so hold your Bibles, but let me, by way of introduction, use a little longer introduction as we lead up to the title, How You Can Know. How You Can Know is the title today of the message. Notice this chronological event of the life of our Lord leading up to his glorious resurrection. Number one, you'll notice he spent time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That was his friends. You know, the friend that he had raised from the dead. You know, Martha and Mary, he went to their home. And this last week of our Lord's life, he spent time with his friends. In fact, it was Martha who was busy uh, in the kitchen preparing. And outwardly, she was anxious. And inwardly, she was agitated. And yet, Jesus said, Mary had chosen a good thing. It shall not be taken away from her. One thing is needful. And I want to ask you, have you... Uh, have you developed that Mary and nothing wrong with Martha? I believe she got a breakthrough later. We can read that in the Gospel of John chapter 12. But if we're not careful, we can be outwardly anxious and inwardly agitated. Nonetheless, our Lord made his way from Martha and Mary and Bethany and his friend Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, and he makes his way over to the temple. And we find in the scripture these events unfolding, leading up again to his glorious conquering the grave. And here he cleansed the temple. And from there, if you'll notice, he made his way over to the upper room. Last Sunday morning, we had the privilege of gathering around what we call the Lord's table. It was the commemoration and the institution of what we, let me just label as the Last Supper. Now, let me just simply point out this. The Lord made it very clear to the disciples then and to us today, if we do not take of his body and his blood, therefore we have no part in him. Not literally, mind you, but symbolically. And the question is, do you understand 
he said, take this bread and eat. And he took the cup as we celebrated last Sunday and said, this is my blood of the New Testament. But I tell you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you and my Father's kingdom. He was talking to the Jews. The Father's kingdom meant that time when Jesus would come back in glory and power and would inaugurate or usher in his millennial kingdom, 1,000-year reign, predicted by the Old Testament prophets, described by John in the book of Revelation chapter 20. He's not in his kingdom now. If you really take the Bible literally and not allegorically, you have to conclude the matter that he's not on his throne in Jerusalem today. You can see the uh, uprising and the, uh, all of the activities going on in Jerusalem. However, one day he will come in glory and power. The church, meanwhile, has the great hope that he'll come again in what we call the rapture. And next will be the seven years of tribulation and to consummate in our Lord coming in glory and power described in Matthew 24 and in Revelation chapter 19, as well as Zechariah chapter 14. And so the Lord is uh, telling the disciples he will have this opportunity to celebrate in the Father's kingdom which will come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let's say that together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Nobody said it. Say it again. <laughs> Thank you. And so now we come to the next phase of the last week called the Passion Week. Where did our Lord go from that institution of that last supper commemorating the great deliverance from Egypt, the 430 years whereby the Lord supernaturally delivered Moses, the children of Israel, and uh, instructed them to practice this Passover every year, which they will, by the way, over in Israel, the coming uh, week. But nonetheless, he made his way to what we call the Garden of Gethsemane. We went there in Israel. You remember the scene. Jesus says, for example, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41, to Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, mind you, he said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went a stone's throw, and he agonized as he uh, sweated great drops of blood, medically speaking. This was the, literally the blood uh, vessels bursting from our Lord. Why? Because he prayed that prayer that you and I must pray if we're going to experience his resurrection. He said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy will be done. Understanding he would take on the sins of the whole world and be crucified as a ransom, a payment for our sin debt, the debt you and I owe. And yet he passed the test. He had to get through it in order to get to it. Have you gotten to it? You can get through it if you can get to it. You are in the garden right now. I am. Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life tomorrow on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And after that scene where the police and the uh, religious rulers came as Judas gave away the secret as he kissed our Lord, 
They arrested him, but before they did, he said, I'm he. They fell like dead men, the power of God. As they made their way from the Garden of Gethsemane, they came to this place called Anna's house, and then next Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, this mock trial, as they made light of uh, the accusation that Jesus was indeed and yet was accused of being the Son of God, in which he was. And an insurrectionist on top of that, uh, Caesar was curious, Lord. They made their way over to Pilate's Hall. I'll never forget going to Pilate's Hall, Judgment Hall in Israel. It was a cold, dark, damp, dreary, demon-infested place. I sensed the presence of evil as I walked down in Pilate's Hall. I was asked to pray in Jerusalem. And uh, I was glad to get out of there, to be honest with you. Then our Lord makes his way over from Pilate's Hall, uh, well, from Herod's palace, then to Pilate's Hall. And the Jews, the religious leaders of our Lord's day, as well as Pilate, who tried to wash his hands lily white, said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I have the power to lay it down and raise it up again. Yes, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, I find a trend. The Lord has been speaking to my heart concerning not only our Lord's death, but your death and my death, not literally, but spiritually, that we might experience his resurrection power. It must start with fellowship with the Lord. It goes uh, uh, to uh, the upper room, and we partake of our Lord on a daily basis. But then we've got to come to the place, and some of you may be here in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you're wrestling over, it's my life. I'll do what I want to do. I'll go where I want to go. And God's saying, no, if you want to experience a cross and a resurrection, you must go the way of the Father. And so... There'll be trials after you make that lifelong decision. And even as a Christian, God, not my will, but your will be done. There'll be trials along the way. You're experiencing those right now. Are you going to deny the Lord? Are you going to pass the test? Are you going to blame God for what you're going through? All of these trials that Jesus went through, in a similar sense, we will experience and are experiencing right now. For what purpose? The purpose to make our way to the place of the cross. No, you can't die for my sin and I can't die for your sin. But wait a minute. I want to remind you, our Lord said, if any man wish to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. He that loves his life shall lose it. Whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. I hear somebody saying, but I don't want to lose my life. I, I want to be in control of my life. Listen, you and I will only experience the minimum at best, no fruit when we do it our way versus, God, I'm willing to die to myself. I'm willing to take up a cross. I'm willing to let you have your will and way so that your resurrection power can be expressed through my mortal life. Are you experiencing that these days? Oh, no, I, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die to myself well 
Except for a grain of wheat that died does not produce fruit, Jesus said in John 12 and 24, referring to himself and yet referring to us. The cardinal sin for the Christian is to say, I have a right to my life. Wait a minute, I've read over there where God said, we're bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Unfortunately, many Christians today are, are uh, serving the flesh and self rather than serving the Lord and consequently aren't experiencing fruit, abundant fruit, spirit-filled living. Why? Because they're not willing to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, not my will. Maybe there's somebody you today that needs to get with God and say, God, I've had my way. No wonder I'm not experiencing resurrection power. And yet he went to the cross. As he was on the cross, somebody said, I was on his mind and you was on his mind. You asked the Lord, does he love you? He stretched out his hands like this and said, I love you this much. What else could he do? God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you remember, as our Lord hung on the cross above the cross to see, this is the king of the Jews, God could not, the father that is, refuse to look at his son as it were. And a veil, a curtain was dropped as he was hanging on the cross so that darkness filled the land for three solid hours after Jesus made that first saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Woman, speaking to Mary, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Remember, John was one of the disciples who left our Lord when he said, all men will do Apart from me will forsake me. Even John did. And yet John shows up at the cross. And John is the caregiver and the caretaker, if you will, of his mother, Jesus' mother being Mary. Then Jesus said to one of the thieves who understood that either he paid the penalty of his sin or let the Lord pay the penalty of his sin. And Jesus said, today you should be with me in paradise. But wait a minute. It was that forsake when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I admit, and you must admit too, that we can't wrap our finite minds around the infinite, how God the Father and God the Son were so co-equal in the beginning of eternity past and will be for eternity future. And yet, God the Son was willing to taste death for every man, your sin and my sin. It was not the Romans that... Uh, alone the reason that our Lord died on an old rugged cross. It was not the Jews that put him there alone. It was your sin and my sin and the sins of the whole world. But we've all missed the mark. And yet Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And as he hung on the cross, God the Father was propitiated. First John in 2 and 2. John makes that very clear. He is speaking of Christ, the propitiation of our sins, not only of ours, but also the sins of the whole world. The word propitiation, interesting to note, is the word halasmus, which means God the Father was propitiated, appeased, yea, satisfied in the death of his son. 
now, even though we stand guilty before a thrice holy God and the devil points his finger and accuses the brethren, as Revelation 20 and 10 says, yet God the Father says, I forgive them. No longer guilty, no longer condemnation through the blood of his son. When God the Father sees his blood of his son, he not only uh, oh, imputes unto us uh, clothes us in his righteousness but he also restores us back into fellowship with him and I say hallelujah then Jesus said it is finished to tell us die all that man had lost in the garden now was gained back through the sacrificial atoning death of our Lord Jesus Christ. No more need for the blood of bulls or goats or heifers. Once and for all, he purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. Glory, glory, glory. And he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He died a literal death. The Roman soldiers thrust in the spear into his side. And John, the beloved, records who was turned from a son of thunder into apostle of love. He uh, expresses and articulates the blood and water that flowed out of the side of our Lord. And how the Roman soldier uh, would not break his leg. Why? Because the fulfillment of the son is not a bone in his body shall be broken. And yet he died a literal death. He, the just, dying for us, the unjust, that he might bring us back to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. He set the example that we should follow in his steps. When he was threatened, he threatened not. When he was reviled, he reviled not. But he committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously. Next, we find the carrying of our Lord's body are you willing to go to the cross today? Are you willing to say no to your will today, but yes to God's will today? Are you willing to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done? Are you willing to say, I'm willing to take up a cross, death to my plans, death to my vision, death to what I want, but yes to you? That's when the breakthrough comes. Right now, some may be uh, right here on the journey, and yet others may be ready for the resurrection which we'll celebrate next week. But when we come to that place by the grace of God, then God begins to fill us with his resurrection power through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're able to do things we wouldn't normally be able to do in our own strength, in our own power. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Oh, really? That's why Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, Philippians 3.10. You see, there is a real sense of the resurrection yesterday, and yet there's some application to the resurrection today for you and me, and yet in the futuristic sense, there is going to be a resurrection when the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds.
the meat to the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I said at Tommy's homegoing service yesterday, I said, Tommy's last words to me as I saw him, and he was going down, down, down. But wait a minute. He was going down physically, but thank God he was going up spiritually. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you this. Paul said, our outer man's perishing, literally decaying, but our inner man's being renewed day by day. This light affliction, really a light affliction, it's just but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Look not at the things which are seen, which are temporal, rather the things that are unseen, which are eternal. Spirit's pushing against that earthly suit, that earth man. I want to get out of this temple. I want to get out of this temple. It's wearing out. And thus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. How do you know you're here today? Do you know that you've got a home in heaven? Are you absolutely positive? Don't you want somebody else to know that too? Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 through 13. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 through 13. For my reigning time, I want to share with you the matter of how do you know? Will you take the challenge today to share Jesus with one person with the goal that you'd win them to the Lord in 2019? I'm telling you, the Lord expects you to do that, and I believe the Lord will be honored when we do that. And so, as we come to the text of 1 John 5, briefly, may I add, here's the questions to propose to you today. One, how can you know who Jesus was? 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Two, how do you know you have the Son? I want you to think of those two questions, and as I read the text, if you'd like to stand, you can read it with me. I begin in verse 11 of 1 John chapter 5. John's writing to Christians, remember now, beloved, and the refuting of these false teachers who were agnostics or Gnosticism was very prevalent during John's day. Those who said, well, I'm getting a place where I never sin anymore. Wow, that's an extreme but then on the other side of the pendulum, there were those who were saying, it doesn't matter how I live and I can live in sin. Oh, that's an extreme as well. And yet John is drawing the line, giving us some instructions concerning the birthmarks of a child of God. If you're saved today, there are going to be some birthmarks of our father. I told you earlier, my dad's birthday is today. And people every once in a while when we get together, they say, you know, you look just like your dad. I don't know about that, but I know this. If you're a Christian, there are going to be some birthmarks in your life. What are they? Obedience. Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments, 1 John 2 and 3. Love for the brethren. That's going to be a birthmark. Do you love the brethren? We know we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. A hatred for sin and a love for God, 1 John 3. No one who is born of God commits sin habitually, continually. Why? Because he's born of God. He cannot sin and his seed abides in him. The word seed is the word sperma. The life of God abides in him. Well, and overcoming the world. 1 John 5, verse 11 through 13. And this is the record that God has given to us. Eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son, Jesus, hath life. What kind of life? Eternal life. 
that begins now, not just in eternity, but now. And that you may believe. Notice he says, verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not the life. Doesn't matter about tears, doesn't matter about religion, doesn't matter about good works. If you don't have the Son uh, ruling, reigning in your heart and on your throne of your life, then you do not have the Son. You may have it intellectually, but the devil believes in God and trembles. There's more to believe than just simply assenting intellectually that Jesus died a man on a cross and arose again. And then notice verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may, I love this part, you may know, you may know, say it with me, that you may know, one more time, that you may know, not think, not wonder. There's somebody standing here today that says, you know, I don't know if I died where I'd go. You need to get that straightened out today. You need to get that nailed down today. I'm serious as I can be. I'm not just preaching preacher talk. I'm talking as serious as I can be. Life is but a vapor. Appears for a little while and vanishes away. There's not time after death. Your heart beats for the last time. You breathe your last breath. It's over. There's no second chance. There's no purgatory. Sorry. Absent from the body present with the Lord. He that hath the Son. Notice. These things have written unto you to believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Our Father, I thank you. Oh God. Who you are. Not only what you've done, but what you're doing and what you will do. Bless you today. Worship you today. I pray that somehow, some way, our Father, you'll get us out of the comfort zone. Get us into the combat zone. Get us, Lord, uh, oh, Father, out in the fields that are white unto harvest. Help us, Lord, to be rescuers. 911, John 3.16, going and telling, going and rescuing, going and throwing out the lifeline and Pulling in sinners who have got one foot in the grave and hell and one foot on earth. Oh God, I pray you'll give us uh, your vision for the lost and for our family and for people who have religion but not have been born again. Lord, we don't want to be critical and judgmental, but Lord, you said, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in thy name and thy name cast out demons? I name done many wonderful works. I'll declare unto you, I Depart from me. I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity. So God, you know our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. I thank you for your grace, your great love, your forgiveness through your cleansing, redeeming, overcoming blood, and your mighty resurrection power through the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit. We pray, dear God, you'd bring us to the garden. You'd take us from the fellowship at Mary and Bethany even here at New Rocky Creek and bring us on in as we face trials as you did and then ultimately be willing to say not my will but thy will God be done in my life as we take up a cross daily and experience your glorious resurrection power as husbands, as dads, as grandparents, as servants. We need you, Lord. I need you every moment. Cleanse my heart. Bless this time together. Get us on the trail of sinners, Father. Put people on our hearts today. Help us to not just hear the word, but do the word. And we'll give you glory when all's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. He that hath the Son hath life.
He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Very clear. John makes it crystal clear. How can you know who Jesus was? If you turn to the book of Zechariah, you'd find in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, who was instructed to go back and to build, rebuild, the temple had been destroyed in 586 B.C. And Zechariah gives so much practical insight concerning historical information. In fact, if you read the ninth chapter of the book of Zechariah, you'd find out a man by the name of Alexander the Great stormed through and did exactly what Zechariah had predicted, by the way, in 521 B.C., and yet it was fulfilled 200 years later in 333 or approximately that time when Alexander did exactly storming down uh, the coast and obliterating those, including Tyre, I might add, as described in the book of Ezekiel chapter 26. And then Zechariah launches from that king to another king, King Jesus. And you can read about it in the book of Zechariah. The Zechariah declares the coming of the Messiah and the triumphal procession. Today is marked aside a day whereby we call it the triumphal entry. Really, it was a triumphal exit. Why? Because our Lord <laughs> and many believe even debate whether it was on Sunday or Saturday. We'll not go into that debate. I started to, but at any rate, we won't today. But it, it, is this fulfilled? Absolutely. He'd come riding on the back of a donkey. You can read about that. And yet 500 years later, to me the Bible's absolutely amazing that it pinpoints meticulously and precisely the prophetic events that God said would happen, numerous of them, and you can note they have been fulfilled. This one particularly on today. What is the triumphal entry? Our Lord comes riding in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's mentioned 764 times in the Bible. Jerusalem, the city of God. Keep your eye on Jerusalem because our our Lord's going to rule and reign there, even though there is upheaval and unrest because of Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2. It's a picture of a drunk man, a uh, trembling cup. Today, people want to uh, control and have uh, dominion over Jerusalem. It's the apple of God's eye. That apple, by the way, is a picture of the pupil in your eye. If you touch the pupil with your finger, it hurts. I want to tell you, when people touch Jerusalem, doesn't matter who they are, God said, oh, he's aggressively jealous over Jerusalem. It's the city of God. It's the city that David, you recall, made not only a political capital, but a spiritual capital, and furthermore, an eternal capital, described in 2 Samuel chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so... Uh, Lord Jesus, as he comes into Jerusalem, after performing miracles after miracles, why? To authenticate who he was. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He opened blind eyes. He healed the ten lepers. He touched the woman who was hemorrhaging after she touched him and said, Woman, thou art whole. Why did he do those miracles? Why did he turn that little lad's lunch, um, two fishes and five loaves of bread, into feeding 5,000 to show and to demonstrate he was who he said he was? He said, I am the father of one. He said, he that has seen me has seen the father. He said, he was God. There's the proof that he was God. He calmed the storm. He can calm your storm too. Uh, 
Yes, he can. He said to the Gadarene demoniac, Come out of that man. Yes. There was a man let down from the roof one occasion, and he said, as he looked at the four friends' faith, not that man's faith, but four friends' faith, will you bring somebody to Jesus? He said, your sins are forgiven. Who could forgive sin? Only God. And so he comes riding in. Hosanna! Hosanna! Glory to God. This is described in Matthew's Gospel, 21, 1 through 9. Luke's Gospel, 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 29 through 40. I want you to pay special attention, beloved, as you look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19 and verse 42. What did the Lord mean when he said, If you'd only known what the prophets had spoken, you'd have known what this day was all about. What did he mean? Did they understand him? Do we understand him? Well, what do you mean? I mean, Jesus was saying to that crowd, all you had done was read the book of Daniel. The Old Testament, remember, had been written at that time. And all you had to do was read Zechariah. And uh, all you had to do was to calculate Nehemiah's return to rebuild the walls, 445 B.C. And Jesus said you'd have known what happened if you'd have just known the Holy Scripture. Do we know what God is saying? Oh, listen, how can you know who Jesus was? All of this is fulfilled and depicted in this particular chart. Daniel describes that. As he says, know this, 70 weeks are determined for thy people in thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation from iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy. Know and understand this from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and to build Jerusalem under the coming of the Messiah shall be threescore and two weeks, seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. I'll not take time to calculate it, but you can pull your calculator out from a Jewish perspective and count the days and see to the day as Nehemiah fulfilled the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel was writing, keep in mind, in the uh, latter part of 580, 570 uh, B.C., and yet Nehemiah comes along 100 plus years afterwards, pinpoints exactly what Daniel saw. And then not only that, but 500 years after that, you'll notice that Jesus shows up on the scene. The triumphal entry of the king of glory. The Bible is a living book. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. So how do you know that you have the son? John says, this is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son of God is not the life. These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life today? Do you know that you're saved today? Do you know that your sins are forgiven today? How do you know? I want to ask you a personal question. Tell me the time, the place. Tell me the time and place. When did it happen? Can you tell me the time and place? I didn't say if you turned over a new leaf. I didn't ask if you've been baptized. A lady stood here last week, a lady by the name of Rachel Holcomb stood up here and said during vacation Bible school, she came forward along with her friends, but she really didn't understand what she was doing. 
I'm afraid to say that many do that today. They make some childhood decision they're really not sure because their friends do. I know because I did the same thing, not because my friend did, but because I fully didn't understand and nor did I repent and consequently was not really saved and yet claiming to be saved the whole time. But on the other hand, a man stood here last week. What was his name? Josh Holcomb. He said at the age of seven years old, he was gloriously saved. He said he hadn't had a doubt one day since then. It can be real, and then again, it may not be real. Question, when did it happen for you? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? Make your calling and election sure, Peter says. And number two, has there been a change in your life? I'm afraid to say that this is the real criteria whether you've been really saved or not. If there hadn't been a change in your life, you hadn't, if your relationship with God hadn't changed, you need to change your relationship with God. I'm telling you, the Lord said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, that does not mean sinless perfection. However, it does mean some things that ought to be evident in someone who calls himself a Christian. You see, I'm afraid to say we've minimized what the Bible teaches concerning the new birth. We just said, oh, there was a time when somebody skipped down the aisle, but there's no fruit, there's no life, there's no evidence, there's no indication, there's no seemingly love for the Lord and their life. Now, either we're right or the Bible's right, and I always take the Bible as being right. And so John makes it uh, absolutely unquestionable what the new birth is all about, and furthermore, what the characteristics and the experiences will be of a Christian. Do you realize the Holy Spirit comes and lives in a believer? It's not just take us to heaven someday when we die. God just says do the best you can. Rather, the Holy Spirit quickens life. Paul made that clear in Ephesians chapter 4. He quickened us together with Christ. Well, what's the Holy Spirit living in us to do? Both to will and to do of the pleasure of God. The Holy Spirit's to guide us. Now, if you were to take this right here, the, uh, this uh, number three is the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit, your child of God. Now, it could be there's some unconfessed sin in your life. I'll admit that when we've got unconfessed sin in our life, certainly that brings a clouded, confused testimony for a Christian. And it may be that there just needs to be that confession of that, uh, that sin in our life in order to restore fellowship with God rather than going back to the place where you really, in your heart, surrendered your heart and asked God to forgive you by turning from your sin. We call that repent. And turning to God, not just lifting your hands, not just singing some song, not just taking the preacher by the hand, not just being going down in baptism of water, not just joining the church, but being born again. Letting Christ quicken his life in you and letting him take control. Well, is God's spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? Do you know right now, yes, I'm a child of God. Romans 8 and 16, Paul made this absolutely glorious when he said God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Keep in mind in chapter 8, it's the wonderful description of the spirit-filled life, the absence of the flesh yielding and producing and controlling versus the Holy Spirit controlling and producing fruit as described in Galatians chapter 5, love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness and temperance, self-control. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. So, is God's Spirit bearing witness with your spirit? Now, I want to go to number 4. Because if this has been a change in your life, you can take, take me to the time and place. And, by the way, people who sit in church on the front row can still die and go to hell. I'm telling you, religion won't do it. 
Playing games won't do it. Can I tell you all, I sat in church for years, lost as lost can be. And so a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, is going to be a detrimental decision that will cost someone to spend eternity lost without God forever and ever, never to have another prayer. And so you need to make sure today, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? When did it take place? What has your life been? Is the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit? Then number this four. Uh, do you experience, this is very, very important, beloved, as I wrestled over, am I really saved? And, and this was the text, this was the word that God gave me to confirm what God says, not what I've heard or what I felt or what I thought. It's important we go back to the word. Somebody say amen. That's our plumb line. That's our criteria, not what grandma says or what preacher says, but what God says. Here's what God says. You experience God's chastisement when you step out of his will and disobedience. John says in chapter 3, this I can tell the children of the devil versus the children of God. No one who is born of God practices, lives habitually, continually in sin. I didn't say that. God said it. You don't believe me? Look in chapter 3, verse 6. You've got to see it. I don't, you might not believe what I'm saying. I, I don't, I'm not saying you don't believe it, but I want you to see it anyway. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Now, that doesn't mean never sin, but it means commit sin habitually. The word sinneth not is in the present tense, meaning ongoing. He sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him. I'm not writing this. John is. How many believe this is inspired of God? This is the inspired word of God. John's laying down the law as to who is really saved and who's really not saved. Notice verse 7, little children. By the way, you don't know their heart, and I don't know their heart, so stop being a judge, all right? Now, we can certainly know the fruit they produce, but you've got to be careful, and I've got to be careful. I'll be honest with you. All I need to be concerned about is me. And so this is no message for us to go out and start, to, but it is a message for us to get on our knees and say, God, I know there's many not saved. Verse 7, little children, let no man deceive him. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Notice verse 8. He that committed, present tense, ongoing, sin habitually is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this is the purpose of the Son of God, which manifests that he might destroy. And that word destroy is undo the works of the devil. I like verse 9. This is the verse that God absolutely pulled the rug out from under me and showed me that I was not saved. I was lost. And I don't care who it is. And I don't care what they say. The bottom line is what God says right here. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God, meaning saved, doth not commit sin. Now, that word commit, you need to know, is present tense, ongoing, habitually. Now, I know you probably hadn't read that in a long time, and I know you probably hadn't heard anybody preach on that in a long time, because now with this high-powered evangelism, just raise your hand, skip in the aisle. I'm not saying some aren't saved, but I'm saying many are, uh, like me, deceived, and so therefore, uh, I feel this is very, very important that we understand what God says. Look at verse 9, whosoever is born of God doth not live habitually in sin. Why? For his seed remaineth in him. The word seed is the word sperma. That means the life of God. That means God's life is living in a Christian. Can you all, everybody understand that? I, I can't get my understanding fully, but his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin. Live in habitual sin. Why? Because he's born of God. And this is the children of God, a manifest, the children of the devil. That's how you can tell. And this, the children of God are manifesting the children of the devil. John's saying this is how you can tell the children of God versus the children of the devil right here. I didn't say it, John said, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not, doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Boy, that's 
powerful stuff there, man. Somebody sitting here today, what do you think? What do you think? Now, why can he live in habitual sin is my question. Here's the answer. Hebrews 12, 5 says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines every son. He trains. He corrects every son. My neighbor and my son got together. Even Kevin's son and my son played together. Your son Craig and Kurt. Boy, they play out in the side yard, have fun, baseball, football. And uh, a little young man, Junior, who's now passed away, died in a car wreck about a year ago. Same age, a little younger. But anyway, uh, my neighbor's children, when they did something wrong, I didn't spank them. But my own children, I did. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Not because I didn't love them, but because I did love them. And I was seeking out a correction in their life. And so God says this, whom he loves, he chastens. Hebrews 12, 5. And so he says, uh, this is how you can tell. If you're a child of God, he, he disciplines every son of his. So when we get out of line, oh, God doesn't hit us with a baseball bat. Aren't you glad? Somebody ought to say, man, thank you, Amy. I'm glad you're with us, Amy. But you know what the Lord says? The Lord says he's going, how many of y'all remember the old phrase, take us to the woodshed? <laughs> he's not going to beat us, no. He's going to lovingly correct us through various means. Now, question, can somebody continue to disobey God and rebel against God? Yeah, yeah. But if the Holy Spirit's living in them, he's going to continue to correct them. Why? God's invested a lot in their life. Furthermore, what good does it do God or anybody else to leave somebody here on earth in total rebellion toward God and thus not bring God glory. Do you agree with me? The only reason we're here on earth is to glorify the Lord. Bottom line, read your Bible. And so once we cease to do that, God might as well say, come on home, son. Come on home, daughter. Once we cease to do that, we become useless to the Lord. Now, and I'm not going to go into all the things concerning that other than just saying this. I know that I'm a child of God because my father loves me. And <laughs> my dad didn't spare the rod, and neither does my heavenly father. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Do you really know? Do you really know that you know? Here we are, our problem is sin. We can't get to God. You've seen this numerous times. Jesus bridges the gap. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Hey, as simple as this. And I say simple, and yet it's costly because it cost our Lord his life's blood. Do you know that you know that you know? Billy Graham's association said this, connected with Lifeway. If a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind them talking about it. They did a survey. 79%, 8 out of 10 people said they didn't mind if somebody talked with them about Jesus, their faith. 80 almost percent, 79 percent of people out there who were not Christians said they didn't mind if somebody talked to them about Jesus. Why aren't we telling more? <laughs> Don't be a chicken. <laughs> if soul winning were your job, would you still be employed? How many of purpose in your heart today? Or somebody that's not a Christian, I'm going to pray and ask God to help me by his grace to lead them to Jesus.
Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life. You said this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life.